Christmas Eve, we, we thank you so much uh, for being with us here at Grace on Christmas, me- Christmas Eve, making, making us part of your routine today. Thanks for being here. We're, we're really glad every single one of you are here. We're in a series, Rethink Christmas, and, and last Sunday we were looking at the most popular Christmas text out of Luke 2. want to do that again today. It's It's a text that means a lot to me. In in our house, uh, we have a tradition that really started with Pam's dad, and that is we read that passage out of Luke 2 right before we open the gifts and everything, kind of tunes the the kids in, and that's the way we like to do it. And uh, I would like to read that passage right now. All right. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. A lot of times we wonder, well, why is this sandwiched in here at the Christmas story? And we know it's because Christmas, the birth of Jesus, was a historical event that happened in a point of time a point in history, and Luke here is documenting for us in a historical context exactly when that happened. Continues in verse 3, he says, and everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. We might think, we sing silent night, but but I'm sure with Mary and Joseph, things were hopping. I mean, they were probably a little bit panicked. It'd be interesting to be able to see how they were reacting to all that. Verse 8 says, in the same region... There were some shepherds staying out in their fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he's pleased. And when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And so they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen, just as has been had been told them. We, we read the, the most famous passage, and it, 
And if we looked within this passage to find the most popular verse in the passage, that would be no doubt verse 14. That's the one that we would see on the Christmas cards most often where it says, if you caught it, glory, when the multitude of angels say glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men or people with whom He's pleased. Most popular verse, most popular passage, and probably the most famous word in that passage is the word peace. I also think it's the most misunderstood word of all the words in all the Christmas passages. So what I want to do today, same thing that we did on Sunday, is dive in, find out what this word peace actually means. And in order to do that, we're going to discover what it is not, what, what peace does not mean, what it does mean, and then how we get it. What this word peace does not mean that many people think it means is they think that when Jesus came, the angels were announcing a political or international type of a peace. But that's not what the angels are saying. As a matter of fact, Luke records later in Jesus' ministry when he's grown up, he himself preached that there would be wars and, and rumors of wars that we wouldn't expect that there would be peace on earth. That's not what the angels were talking about. And then if it's not that, people around us today would say, well, if it's not no war, then it's inner peace, or some might even call it psychological peace, that that's what, that's what the angels are talking about. And, and although it's true, if you have this peace with God, it can indirectly bring you inner peace. That's not what the angels are talking about either. And then some would say, well, if it's neither one of those, then maybe it's just the peace that we sen sentimentally experience at Christmas time. Christmas morning, presence, being with family, just that peaceful time that, that we get to have emotionally. And that's not, that's not right either. Not even the, the peace that some of you will get up tomorrow and maybe later in the day you'll jump on Facebook and you'll see some posts there and, and that'll be like somebody showing you the perfect Christmas peace, the perfect Christmas morning. I don't know if you ever read somebody's Facebook post and you're thinking, wow, why is that not happening with me? I mean, I'm not, I'm not getting that kind of a, a peaceful morning. A lot of us have had some, some different Christmases. I, I shared last week, last Sunday that uh, one Christmas I had was in Denver. I was working in a branch of a bank in kind of southern Denver. I lived in northern, and um, I had to work on Christmas Eve. I had planned to go down 100 miles south to Pueblo, where my family was from, and spend Christmas down there, but had to work on Christmas Eve, and, and we did that. A, a blizzard hit Denver that year, and it started snowing and, and shutting everything down. It actually snowed 24 inches in a 12-hour period of time. And so as the snow was accumulating, things were getting shut down. I shut the, the branch and sent the employees home, and mass transit was, was done by then, and one employee didn't have a ride, and I was giving them a ride home, and got them in downtown Denver. In order, I knew I couldn't make it to Pueblo, and so I just was trying to make it back to my house in Denver which was several miles away. To do that, I had to go up Interstate 25, got up on the interstate. By now, everything is shut down. The weird thing is, is people had abandoned their cars all over the interstate. So it's a six, 
to eight-lane interstate, and there are just cars left there in every lane and people gone, just cars. And, and so to travel the interstate, if you could keep your vehicle moving, it was just a two-wheel track that you could barely see that would weave in and out of all these parked vehicles all over the interstate lanes, but there was just one lane open dodging all these cars. And, and so you'd, you'd take that, and every once in a while, you would come up and that would be blocked by somebody who got stuck, and so that's the only way out, so you would get out to help them unblock it, and if you couldn't do that, a few more minutes would go by and somebody else would come by and they'd be stuck behind you, and pretty soon there'd be enough people to get that car out of the way or to get them back moving, and that happened several times all the way up I-25, and then I had to take Interstate 70 West and got off the interstate, got onto my neighborhood, into my neighborhood, and uh, I was about two and a half blocks away, and I had abandoned my car, uh, my truck, actually, small truck that I had to leave there because I couldn't go any further. As I'm trudging home, I'm not looking forward to being snowed in at my house because I shared that house with another guy, two bachelors. We both, he was already gone. We both knew we wouldn't be there, and the house was bare of food, like only a house that's lived in by two bachelors can be bare of food. I mean, it was just, there was nothing there. I knew there was nothing there. And I had just passed a grocery store near my house, and they were shut down, of course. It's about 11 o'clock Christmas Eve. I know nothing's going to be open tomorrow that I can get to, and I see a light a few blocks away. Turns out it's a liquor store. I make my way there. There's an open sign. I'm in thigh-deep snow. My car's abandoned. Haven't got to my house yet, but I go to the, the liquor store. The only thing they have, trying to get some food, the only thing they have edible is M&M's. That's, that's all I get there, but I, I get a large bag of M&M's. I'm actually feeling pretty good about that. And then I head back to the house. When I get to the house, I'm frozen. And uh, because of getting in and out of the cold all that way home and then trudging through my, I, I had exchanged my suit jacket for a line Levi jacket that buttoned up and it was just caked with ice. I couldn't even get it off. I was shivering, I'm freezing cold, I'm trying to get this off. I have to break the ice and then pour hot water on the front of my jacket to even get the, unbutton, the buttons unbuttoned, and then I take it off and it was just cracking open like a suit of armor, and I finally got that off. I'm freezing cold. I think I have hypothermia because I've been out in the elements so much. I go into the bathroom, start running hot water, I throw myself into the bathtub, plug it up, I sit there and I try to get some warmth. I discard my clothes, I'm in there. As I'm doing that, the water cools off. Well, then I let a little out, put in more hot water. You know what I'm talking about? Then a little few minutes later, let a little, put in more hot water. I do that until there's no more hot water. And I'm cold. And so I get up, I put some clothes on, I get some extra blankets, I go to bed, and I am just freezing. I'm shivering, I'm tied up in a knot, trying to stay warm. About 3 a.m. Christmas morning, I wake up, I'm, I'm curled up in a little tight ball in my bed, my teeth are clenched, and I'm shivering. And then I realized, oh, hold it, I'm not cold anymore. I'm finally warm. And so I was feeling really good about that. Later, I woke up and uh, got out of bed, and I started searching the house for food, all I could find, besides my bag of M&Ms, was one small can of SpaghettiOs. I don't even like SpaghettiOs, but this might... 
my roommate had those, and, and it was back in a shelf which I, that was higher than he was, and I don't think he even knew they were there, and I got those out, and I realized I needed to ration, so Christmas noon, I ate my, I had electricity, so I got to heat up my SpaghettiOs and eat my SpaghettiO dinner, and then for the rest of the time, I just rationed out my M&Ms. And then even the next day, I'm rationing out my M&Ms and listening to news reports about how they're plowing cars off of the interstate to open up the interstates. And then, the next Christmas was even worse than that. You don't want to hear that story, right? Do you? Okay. Do you? Yeah. All right, well, the very next Christmas, I'm in, I have left my job, resigned, went out to start graduate school in, in Virginia. I get there, and at first I couldn't find a job, and with school tuition that I had saved up for, my money went fast, and I finally got a job in October, actually the last day of October, and so I'm working in November, I'm finally getting some cash flow, I'm broke, and then I, I, the job I got was Liberty Emergency Services, they were kind of a 24-hour deal, three shifts, and uh, I was working there, I was working on campus in order to keep the job, I knew I'd have a better chance to go full-time rather than be temporary if I stayed. I stayed over Christmas break. I don't think anybody knew that any students were staying, and so there was no heat in the dorms. So no heat in the dorms. They kept it just in the upper 30s so the pipes wouldn't freeze, and it was just freezing in my dorm room, but I, but I found out I had hot water, and I had one little sink in my dorm room, and I found out that if I plugged the sink and I ran hot water just a little bit all the time, that, so then when it raised up, it would just go out the overflow, that it would keep my room just a little bit warmer. So I just did that. And so I had this warm sink. That's the only source of heat I had. That's freezing cold. I, I didn't have anything to eat. There was nothing to eat on campus. And so I had bought some cereal and some milk, and I didn't have to worry about keeping the milk. I didn't have a refrigerator, but my room was a refrigerator, so it was no problem. Just set it over by the window. And then Christmas Eve came. I worked a shift early. And nobody wanted to work. Everyone worked with like 50 guys. Most of them were married and had family. I, I was single. And so I worked a shift early on Christmas Eve. And then for Christmas Day, you're supposed to work one or the other. All these married guys kept asking me, Kevin, will you work for me? Will you work my shift? And so I actually volunteered. You know, they had kids and family. I didn't have anything. And of course, my alternative was to be in a very cold room just sitting around doing nothing. So I actually, after I got done with one shift early on Christmas Eve, at 11 o'clock on Christmas Eve, I went in and I worked a 24-hour shift, three shifts in a row, until 11 o'clock at night on Christmas Day. So I did that, and I was very tired. That was my Christmas Day. I head back to my dorm room. I hadn't got to eat much. Um, I get up to my room, and I'm so looking forward to having some cereal. I get up, I, I go into my room, when I get in my room, I realize that the inside of my windows have three inches of ice caked on them, and that when I opened my milk, it was just a solid block of white. So I couldn't even, and I was tired. I'd been working for 24 hours, and I realized I could, you know, warm the milk up in the sink, which was, you know, warm. I had warm water there, and, and, but I was just so tired, I just crawled into my bunk bed exhausted, freezing cold, in another little knot, wishing and dreaming that I had a bag of M&Ms and a can of SpaghettiOs. <laughs> so that's the next question. The point is simply this. 
this is not the kind of peace, sentimental peace, if that's what the angels were talking about, inner peace for everyone, war, no war, political peace, if that's what the angels were talking about when they were announcing peace, epic fail, right? That doesn't always happen. Well, then what is the peace? Well, the first thing we notice is that peace on earth, and I think this gives us a clue that this peace on earth is actually a peace that we can only get while we are on earth. It's only during our life on earth that we can get, grab a hold of this peace. There's no second chances after this time on earth is over. But again, what's the peace? Well, the peace that the angels are singing about is a peace between people and God. Now, that's the peace. It's a peace between us and God being offered to people. And, and people don't get that. Nobody thinks that's the peace because nobody feels like they're at war with God, right? But Scripture's telling us we actually are at war with God. That's what the Bible says, that we are at enmity with God is one of the ways it says. That's the peace that's the piece we sing about at Christmas time when we say God and sinners reconciled. That's the peace, peace between us and God. But nobody sees it that way. They don't feel that we are at war with God. Here's how Paul says about that. He says, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. What Paul is telling us is in every single human being, we have this nature in us that wants to do our own thing and to be separated from authority in our lives. We want to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, how we want to do it. We have a rebellious heart against a creator authority in our lives. Now, this is hostility toward God is the way Paul would say it. And it shows up in different people in different way. It shows up in religious people and non-religious people. For example, non-religious people, this hostility toward God, it shows up this way. Hey, I don't believe in God, don't want God, don't need God, don't want anything to do with God. I'll do my own thing. But even in religious people, there's a hostility toward God that shows up more covertly like this, religious people say, hey, I'm going to do what I think God wants me to do, or I'll, I'll do what the Bible says that I'm supposed to do. I'll try to live a moral life, and when I do that, then God will owe me. God will owe me a good life. He'll owe me blessing. But if we're looking at it like that, what we're doing is we're trying to control God, manipulate God, not trust God. The, the problem with either of these approaches is that it does violence in our life. Whether we think we're a religious person and we think we can, we, we have this standard that God's given us that we need to live. But even if you're non-religious, you still think that somehow you have uh, the moral resources to live your life in a way that a human being ought to live. And so whether you're religious or irreligious, you either think you're doing well at that or you, do, or you think you're doing bad at that. 
If you think you're doing bad at that, if you realize you're failing when it comes to live, living a good moral life, either the way God wants or the way you just know you should without God, well, if you're living that way, then your life is characterized by fear and insecurity because you realize I'm not measuring up. I'm not living the moral life that I should live. And so fear and insecurity characterizes your life. On the flip side, though, if you think you are, whether you're religious or irreligious, if you think you are living a pretty good moral life, if you think you are accomplishing it, then your life is characterized by pride and dis eventually disdain for others. Pride because you're going, I'm living a righteous life. Or, or if you're not a believer, if you're not a Christian or not that emphasis, you don't believe in God, then I'm living the life that I should live, a moral right life. And then you do that long enough and pretty soon you're looking around at other people who aren't living the way that you think they ought to live and then you have disdain for them because you're going, what's wrong with those people? So either way, when, when, you, when, when we are at hostility toward God, whether we think we can do it or we know we've failed, either way our life is either characterized when we think about God or the way we should live by fear and insecurity or by pride and disdain for others, or we bounce back and forth between the two depending on how well we think we're doing. Do you know what I'm saying? But there's a third option. And the third option is to believe in the truth of Christmas. And that is that we cannot measure up to God's righteous standard, but God made a way for us to be okay with God but it's a complete gift that we only get through grace. Grace is the gift that we only get through faith or, or trusting in Him. That's what peace on earth is meant by the angels. And if we work down this far, in everything that I just said, Paul says the same thing in different words. For example, here's what Paul says. Therefore, that we're enemies with God... Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Later, he says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Again, he says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. He's saying the same thing, different words. It's the peace between us and God that we're most desperate for, and that's what Christmas is all about. Now, once you know that, then the last question is simply this. How do you get it? How do you make that peace your peace? How do you stop being at war with God and enter into a time where you're at peace with God? Well, first of all, there's something very interesting happening in these two texts. You see, this offer is to everyone, but the peace between people and God only is experienced by some. The offer is universal, but the people who accept it is limited, and we see that in the text. Probably the second most famous verse in the passage that we read earlier is verse 10. That's the main message where it says, but the angel said to him, the one angel, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. 
good news of great joy for everyone. But then when the multitude of angels show up at the end of that, they say something a little different. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men or people with whom he is pleased. Limited people, not everybody. And so news of great joy to everybody. Peace is offered, but only some will experience that. The good news of great joy Not all will respond to that. Not all will benefit. And we come to realize that that peace is a total gift. It's grace. It's a gift that we can only receive through faith by trusting in God. Ever wonder, struck me a couple weeks ago working through this, you have one angel making the announcement, right? Good news, great joy, Savior's born. And then at the end, a whole host of angels show up. Glory to God in the highest. And what's going on there? Well, I think that's a snapshot for us on how the angels view happening. It's very interesting if you look at it. As a matter of fact, Peter writes and he says, as he's talking about the gospel, the good news, and and this mysterious message that God's giving us, that he has a plan to reconcile sinful people like you and me back to God. It says the angels long to look into that. They, they, They don't get tired of checking this out. It amazes them, astounds them. They keep gazing at this. That's what that passage means that Peter writes about. You ever, ever see something that maybe is so bad you can't look away? Guys, like a sports injury, some guy's playing basketball and one his fibia pops out of his leg or something, and then what do you do? You back it up and you watch it again. And it's terrible, but you can just keep watching it. You know what I'm saying? Anybody with me on this? You guys won't even admit it. Yeah, that's what, you, that's what some of us do. Or, or better example, something so wonderful. And you can just look at it for hours and hours. That's how the good news is with the angels. They never get tired of this good news. They never get tired of the gospel. There's nothing deeper in all of Scripture than the gospel, the good news. And what is it that the angels never get tired of. It's the plan of the redemption of mankind. You see, the angels know that God created the universe, earth, the universe and everything in it, including earth, and then at the pinnacle of his creation in some obscure planet, in an obscure solar system, in an obscure galaxy, God does something amazing and he creates people who are made in his image and have the ability of being, to be aware of their creator God and to have a relationship with him. And God loves these people, us, so much that he wants a mutual relationship with us. But mutual relationships can only be by choice, Right? You cannot force relationship on someone. And because of this, God gives us the 
freedom to either choose and follow Him, to love Him back, or to not do that. He does not force us into relationship. He calls us, He wants us, He invites us, and He invites us for our entire life. But He will not force us. You see, God is not only good and not only creator, but God is also perfectly just. And when He created us and allowed us to have this free will to love Him back, all of us rebelled against Him. We all did our own thing. We all did what we wanted to do. We all did that, things that God said were wrong. Look at the Ten Commandments if you're a little fuzzy on that. We, we've all broken those. But God still loves us. We've all broken those, plus God is a just God, a God with perfect justice, which we love that about God, except for when it comes to us, because His perfect justice means that our rebellion against Him, the things that we do wrong, our sin is what the Bible calls it, that because of that, we deserve punishment. And because our sins are against a righteous and holy, eternal God who created us, the punishment is severe. It's just what we want in life. He gives us for eternity. That is separation from God in a place called hell. Separation from God forever. What we want on earth, He gives us forever. And that's what we all deserve. You and me. But because God loves us, He made a way and allowed His one and only Son, Jesus Christ, to be born on the first Christmas day. And then to grow up and live a righteous life. Jesus lived the life that we have all, all of us should have lived. And He was sinless. And He voluntarily allowed Himself to be tortured to death on a cross 2,000 years ago in ancient Palestine in order to pay for our sins. So God can love us and offer us forgiveness and justice could still be served, not violated. And so that's exactly what Christmas is all about. Jesus coming into the world and eventually dying on the cross to pay for my sins and your sins so that we could be forgiven and have peace with God, real peace with God forever as a gift because none of us deserve it. And the way we get the gift is to understand that message, that good news that the angels were talking about and then place our faith or place our trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for our salvation. You see, what we tend to do is we think if we live a righteous life that that sort of makes up for a lot of our, our bad things, but it doesn't. No good thing that we do makes up for any bad thing that we've done. The good is what we're supposed to do. And so if we'll put our trust in Jesus and Jesus alone, not Jesus plus we're a pretty good guy, just Jesus. 
And you only do that sincerely if you want to love him back. And if you really want to love him back, that shows up in your life because you want to follow him. Why? Because you love him. You love him back. And so no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what baggage you walked in here with, no matter what skeletons you have in your closet, no matter what you're going through right now, God loves you. Maybe the most important thing, maybe the one thing that God wanted you to hear today. He knows you. He knows every detail of your life, every thought, every motivation. He knows you and he loves you. And he made a way for you to be forgiven and have a mutual relationship with a holy and righteous God, even though you're a sinner. And that's by placing your trust in Jesus Christ alone. Faith alone in Jesus alone. That message is so important, it's key. It's, it's, it's the whole message of the Bible in a nutshell. So important that we really want to pause this service right now and make sure that you have a, a chance to think through that and, and maybe respond. The good news is for everyone, you and me. But the only ones who receive peace with God are those who respond to that message. So what we do, because we don't want to embarrass anyone or, or we know people sometimes are real private especially if you, if you don't know a lot of people here well. So we're going to make a way. We'd like you to bow your heads right now. And here's what I'm asking you to think about. If you are ready to trust, to place your trust in Jesus only, as your only hope of being right with God, because you can't do it, neither can I, you're ready to do that, I'm going to lead you in a prayer that, that will express that trust to God. It's the faith, the trust in Jesus. That's what saves you. That's what gives you this relationship. That's what gives you the peace with God. But if you're ready to do that, you can express that to God through prayer. And so what I want to do is lead you in a prayer. You, you can make it your own prayer. You can change the words. You don't have to say it out loud. God knows your every thought. And God loves you sitting right here. He knows everything about you. He loves you. And he wants you to respond to this. So if you're sitting here and you don't know that you've ever placed your faith in Jesus alone for your salvation, not church, not baptism, not you grew up this way or that way, None of that, just Jesus. That's all we have. If you're not sure you've ever done that, I invite you to express a new trust in Jesus this way. Make this prayer your prayer silently. Just express it to God. Something like this. Father God in heaven, I thank you for loving me even though I've sinned against you. And Lord, I admit that I've sinned against you and I deserve separation from you forever because that's what sin is. And I deserve judgment for that like everyone else. But God, I also understand that you love me and I don't deserve it. You love me anyway. 
And Father, right now, I'm placing my trust in, in Jesus and what he did on the cross for me personally. Placing my trust in Jesus for my salvation. That's all I have. And God, in doing that, that's just the first step of me wanting to love you back. And I pray that you'd help me with that. Help me to love you back by living as best I can in a way that honors you, follows you. God, thanks for loving me like that. In Christ's name, amen. I'd like us to keep our heads bowed for just uh, a few more moments. And, uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to ask who did that. And again, don't want to embarrass you, put you on the spot or anything. But for two reasons. One, so we can pray for you. And, and two, that you'll just acknowledge that you did something today with your relationship with God. So I'm going to, first of all, look at the auditorium on the left half, your left. And I'm just going to ask you, with our heads bowed, nobody's looking around, but I am. And, and if you could just pop your hand up, just let me see your hand and say, hey, Kevin, I prayed that prayer. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Kevin, I prayed that prayer to put my trust in Jesus. Just pop it up where I can see it and then right back down. That's all I'm asking you to do. Thanks. See it right there. Thank you up thanks and right back down anyone else thanks I see you and then how about the right side your right of the auditorium anybody will say hey Kevin I, I prayed that prayer for the first time as far as I know putting my faith in Jesus alone I just want to acknowledge that just pop it up thank you Pop it up, let me see you. Thanks, see you right there. Just pop it up, let me see you, and then put it right back down. Anyone else? How about way in the back? Anybody? Just put it up anywhere and back down. Father, we thank you for these uh, who have raised their hand, indicating that they place their trust in you, just like many of us have. God, that we don't deserve it, that you just love us extravagantly. And God, we thank you for Christmas. In Christ's name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, if you place your trust in Jesus and just express that in prayer, I uh, just want to tell you a couple things. Number one, right now you've received that peace with God that the angels are singing about, and you have it forever. Can't lose it. It's yours. And another thing, we talked about the angels and how they're longing to look into the gospel, see what's going on here. Scripture says when one sinner repents, that means when one sinner turns their life to God, wanting to love God back, the angels in heaven, the angels that are right now in the presence of God rejoice over one heart, one sinner who repents. And right now there's celebration in heaven because of of many of you, if you raised your hand, or maybe you prayed that prayer and you didn't raise your hand, doesn't matter. There's rejoicing because of you.